It's a wonderful day where we give praise and thanks to God for his faithfulness, particularly in the lives of these high school graduates. And the service so far as you've sung the songs and you've read the scripture is all about God's working in our lives and in the lives of these students. And uh, I just want those seniors who are here today to know that I count it my highest privilege here at Calvary uh, in all the different things I get to be a part of. The highest privilege I have is to open up God's word and speak to you from it. And so this being one of those last times, it is a, a, a special occasion Uh, for me once again to just declare, thus says the Lord. And uh, I hope that as you move on from Calvary, you'll also move on from Mr. Rowland's opinions. Those can stay here. Uh, But as you move on, I pray that God's word will not uh, leave you and that, that it will continue to bear fruit in your life. Well, as we come to God's word and as these seniors get ready to head out into, uh, well, the college years, it's very uncertain times. Some of these, some of these, college, uh, some of these uh, seniors, as they head off to college, might have the thought that their college will be completely paid for, right? Isn't that one of the uh, political agendas out there, that college will be completely paid for? Let me tell you, times have changed. That was nowhere close to a thought when I was graduating from high school. And uh, not even, I don't even think scholarships were in my radar. It was uh, full price. I paid full price, plus some probably. But these are uncertain times financially, politically, socially. Uh, some of the issues that this generation or the, our, the older generation, if you're older, your generation dealt with in high school, we are nothing compared to the things that our high school graduates today are dealing with. A lot of the norms that we grew up with are being torn down and then reconstructed, and often they're being reconstructed in ways that are not biblical and not even logical. And so as these students head out from our homes and from this school, they head out into great uncertainty. And yet, as they head out, we can all be filled with great joy. Great joy. Why? Why can we have great joy? And this is not, by the way, I'll be speaking particularly to seniors, but this is for all of us today, and I hope that you'll enter into it. As believers in Jesus Christ, we can have great joy even in the face of the unknown. Graduates, we are eager to see you moving on to the next stage of life, knowing that uncertainty abounds. We are joyful to watch you rock across the stage this Friday and into great uncertainty. Why is that a great joy to us? Well, joy in uncertain times comes from confidence in an unchanging God. Joy in uncertain times comes from confidence in an unchanging God. No matter the political climate, no matter what happens to the economy, no matter what, uh, now, no matter how far our country runs downhill in social and moral decline, every Christian, every Christian can rejoice with confidence because of the promises and the character of our unchanging God. And so today I want to look at just three simple points from God's word about how we as believers in Christ can have joy in uncertain times. And so if you take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 1, we're going to look at a few verses here and use this as our jumping off place to look at how a believer can have this kind of joy. Obviously, when you consider joy, you go to the book of Philippians because this Philippian church had everything they wanted. They just lived on on flowery beds of ease. There was no persecution. They were all rich and living the American dream in Philippi. Hopefully, some of you Bible scholars will be like, whoa, I don't remember learning that. 
No, the Philippian church was actually under great persecution. They were actually financially strapped. Uh, they were not a wealthy group of people. And they faced, they faced false teaching. They faced uh, uh, men coming in and trying to steal away the gospel and trying to steal away the reputation of, of Paul who had, who had brought to them the gospel. And they faced great, great difficulty. And yet this is the congregation that was known for joy. They faced great uncertainty, and yet they were known for their joy. And so look at verse 3. Paul is writing, of course, and he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in my defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ." being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. Paul is writing and encouraging this church and saying, listen, when I think of you and when I pray for you, I do it with great joy because you have entered into the struggle of the gospel, and yet you have great joy. He says, I pray that you will just increase in that joy as you increase in your knowledge for Jesus Christ. And so the first point about having joy in uncertain times is that joy comes from confidence in the person of Jesus Christ. Joy comes from confidence in His person, who He is. Who is our God? God's character never changes. He is immutable. That is the the theological term for the character of God that none of us share. We all change all the time. In fact, one of our seniors this year, he wasn't with us today, but one of our seniors got Most Improved Scholar Award. His senior year, he decided to wake up. No, he, he, showed great, he, he showed change in his academic efforts, and we're very grateful for that. God doesn't change. You see, something that is perfect shouldn't change, and it can only change for worse. And so as you think about our God, as you think about your God, God will never be more gracious. He will never be less gracious. God will never be less merciful. God will never be less holy, less righteous, less pure. And of course, we understand that God will never love you less than he does now. No matter what trials come, no matter what uncertainty is out there, God will never love you less. A.W. Tozer said it this way, Today, this moment, he feels toward you exactly as he did when he sent his only begotten son into the world to die for you. God's love will never wane. It will never decrease. It will never change. Remember the, the devil, though, comes to Eve in the Garden of Eden and he makes Eve question God's love for her. And if he can get Eve to question God's love for her, then God becomes this distant creator who who has all power, I guess, but he's not helping me out. And so I better take things into my own hands. Seniors, be very careful that you don't buy into that lie that says that God is impersonal and does not care. 
God loves you today and will love you in the next four years of your life as much as he did the day he saved you. I was talking to uh, Mr. McCoy before the service, and we, we let him know that we got a puppy. And he was telling us that the cuteness and love for a puppy decreases from the day you get it. And I told him about some things that already happened. He's like, oh, yeah, it's dropping. That never happens with God. It never happens with God and you. God's love for you, and this is the amazing thing, God's love for you is not based on you. Now, we don't understand that. We love people because they're lovely. We love people because of how they make us feel. We love people because they're important to us. They're part of our family, and and you give the reasons. God loves you because God is perfect, and God loves you for his own glory. Now, that seems somewhat, how is that supposed to bring me comfort? You know why that brings you comfort? Because if God loves you because of who he is, and he doesn't change, he'll never stop loving you based on what you do. I'll tell you what, obviously we're not saying that that means you can go out and live a life of sin, but as a 42-year-old man, I am so thankful that God still loves me, even though I've made some pretty foolish choices. God's love doesn't change because God's love is based not on Mark Rowland, but on himself. What confidence comes from that? In fact, Romans 5 reminds us of this. You are not lovely. We got that little puppy yesterday, and everybody wanted to give attention to that little, tiny destroyer of all good things. <laughs> everybody wanted to, you know, it was just a, it's such a cute and cuddly puppy, you know, and, and uh, uh, that starts to go away, doesn't it? God did not come to us and say, oh, that is one cute baby there. I think I'll save it. That is not how God operates. In fact, let me remind you from Romans chapter 5 what you actually looked like when God chose you. Romans 5 and verse 6 says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth or demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. The expression of God's love was when we were yet in our sins. Much more than being justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we, when we were the enemies of God, we were reconciled to him by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. God loves you because of who God is, and God doesn't change. God created us for his glory, and he will be glorified in us. God saved us for his glory, and our salvation will glorify him. What would it take, listen to this, what would it take for an all-knowing, unchanging God to stop loving you? Well, actually, when you bring those two ideas together, there's nothing Because the God already knows everything. God knows your decisions in the future. He knows what you've done in secret in the past. And he still loves you. An all-knowing, unchanging God will never stop loving you. Psalm 137 speaks about how God knows everything about us. Our down-sitting, our uprising. It says he even knows our thoughts. 
when we're sitting in church. I mean, he, it says he knows our thoughts afar off. And so the psalmist goes through this whole psalm about how God knows every intimate detail about our lives, even our thought lives. And what is the conclusion that the psalmist comes to? He says this in verse 17, How precious are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. And I love this part. And when I awake, I am still with thee. You know, even there are times of failure. There are times of sin. There are times of foolishness. Hopefully you'll be growing through and out of that as you go to college and you continue to to be sanctified. But I tell you, as, as you struggle with these things, just know that when you awake, God is still there. And he still loves you the same as he does today. He knows the end from the beginning. He does not love us based on anything that we have done. By the way, this means I can't do anything that would keep him from loving me. Romans 8 is such a beautiful statement on the permanence of unchanging nature of God's love when it says this in verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution or famine, nakedness or peril or sword? He says, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. As you head into an unknown future, some of you aren't even sure what you're going to major in yet. That's okay. You don't know what your job is going to be. You don't know if you've met your spouse or not. You don't know if you're going to be able to pursue everything you want to in college. That's okay. As you head into uncertainty, as a Christian, you can have such joy because God never changes and God loves you. I am so thankful for a God who does not change. Once again, uh, A.W. Tozer said it this way, Chance and change are busy in our, little, in our little world of nature and men. But in thee we find no variableness nor shadow of turning. We rest in thee without fear or doubt and face our tomorrows without anxiety. Because our God does not change. That gives such confidence in daily living. People will change. People will go back on their word. People will lie to you. However, God does not, and so we challenge you. Let me challenge you to do something. Write down the promises of God over these next years. Write down the promises of God, even as you read them in that book we gave you. Write down the promises of God, and then I would, I would tack onto the end of every promise God makes a statement from Micah chapter 3 and verse 6, and it's this. I am the Lord... I change not. I am the Lord. I change not. Now, we don't do this often here at Calvary, but I'm going to ask you to say it with me, okay? It's it's this. I am the Lord. I change not. Can you say it? I am the Lord. I change not. Now, I'm going to read you a promise, and after that promise, I want you to tack that onto the end of it. I am the Lord. I change not. You ready? I will never leave you or forsake you. 
If you confess your sin, I am faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. My God shall supply all of your need. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. You see it? Do you see how the promises of God aren't just for the good times? They are for the hard times. They're for the times of failure. They're for the times of disappointment. They're for all times because God doesn't change. There are difficult and uncertain days ahead. But your God has already been there and has made great and precious promises to you that do not change. Joy in uncertain times comes from the knowledge of the person of God. But not only that, joy in uncertain times comes from the confidence in God's word. The confidence in God's word. Man's knowledge of this world is always changing. One of the most frustrating aspects of your life over the next four to eight years will be your search to know the truth. For every fat claim of man, you can find a disagreement, an antithesis, an improvement, a revision, a denial, and a testimony on every side. Mix that with political bias, financial motivation, pride, hostility, power grabs, platforms for fame and prominence, and you can see why so many in our day and age shrug their shoulder, and they don't even say, uh, what is truth? They say, is there anything, anything, is, is there anything called truth? Can there even be truth? Right? Just go to the bookstore, and you will find every side of an argument, and at the end of the day, they're all experts, and they all are guaranteed that they're right, and they totally conflict. I mean, come on, just, just look at the history of dieting, right? <laughs> only eat meat. No, don't only eat meat. Only eat carbs. I'm still stuck on that one. That's, that's my <laughs> diet plan right now, right? Fast. Don't fast. Fast halfway through the day. Right? Man's knowledge is always changing, but there is a book that has not changed, and that is God's Word. It's called the pure Word of God. Matthew 24, 35 says this, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Luke 16, 17 says, It is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one tittle of the law to fail. A tittle is a little part of the Hebrew language. It, it separates like an, you know, we have an I with a dot on top. It's the dot. And, and God is saying, My word will not change and it will come to pass. Seniors, as you go into college, put your confidence there. Put your eggs in that basket. Invest in the truth. Of God's word. Every college professor's lecture, every news article, every self-help study, every word of man, hold it up to the light of scripture and then discard it if it doesn't reflect the holy and truthful light of scripture. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians, cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of Christ and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. You see, seniors, Mr. Rowland will die. So will all his notes, and all his lectures, all his personal stories, all his tests and quizzes. They'll die with him. Some people are saying hallelujah. 
And so will every teacher and every professor you will ever have. They will die. Their philosophies will go with them. Someone else will come along and pick some of them up. But they'll all die and they'll all fall short. However, there is one grand source of truth that will outlast every word of man. It is God's word. So make your truth standard by that which will last Judge all other truths by God's word. God says this in 1 Corinthians 1.19. It is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? You know what the answer is? They're dead. They're dead. Where is the disputer of this world? Hath God not made foolish the wisdom of this world? So seniors, we encourage you to be cynics. When it comes to man's wisdom, take on the attitude of Romans chapter 3 and verse 4, where it says, Let God be true and every man a liar. Now, I don't encourage you to walk into your first freshman class and go up to your professor and call him a liar. That's not what I'm saying. I would encourage you to judge every word that contradicts Scripture as falsehood. Every word that contradicts Scripture as false. You're going to go and you're, if, if, some of our students aren't going to Christian college, and, and we praise the Lord for Christians in non-Christian colleges. But I'll tell you there, they'll need to be careful that the, the ideas and ideology of men, which are very seducing, and they play to our pride, and they play to our arrogance, and they play to our self-esteem. Better be careful. They will die. And God, will, God says he will bring that to naught or nothing. And we'll all bow before the truth of God's word. But think about this then. As you go into these uncertain times, there's such confidence in life that comes from spending time in God's word. You will separate yourself from all the other students you're in school with if you will spend time in God's truth. It will change you. It will promote you. It will exalt you. It will make you successful. Is that not what it says in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8? It will make your way prosperous. Doom and gloom come from putting your hope in man. Frustration and disappointment come from putting your hope in education. Failure and depression come from putting your hope in self. But God's word will never fail. It is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We read this morning together that portion of scripture in your bulletin. All talks about God's word. The law of the Lord is perfect. Converting, and that word converting can also be translated rejoicing the soul. You see, a believer can have great joy as the word of God becomes so integrated in the fabric of his thinking. Because it will never pass away and will always be true. Do you want joy in uncertain times? Know God's unchanging word. Believe it. Obey it. Wrestle with it. Submit to it. Trust it. Cherish it. Lastly, joy comes from confidence in God's unchanging work. So we have the person of God. We have the unchanging word of God. And then we have the work of God. Look at Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6 if you're still open there. It says this, being confident of this very thing that he, that's who we just spoke about, the unchanging God 
who has given us his unchanging word. Now he's going to tell us something about an unchanging work. He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. God began this work at your conversion. Our seniors have professed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We don't know their hearts. We see their actions. We're not the judges of heaven and hell for people. God is. But they have made profession with their mouth that they have trusted in Jesus Christ. And so if that is true, God has begun a good work. In fact, this word begin is the Greek word. Yeah, I'm not even going to say it. All right. I was going to say it to make myself look smart. Now I can't even do it. See, don't, don't make plans to do that. All right. The Greek word for this is only used twice in the New Testament. Once here, and then once in Galatians 3.3, which talks about our salvation. It's speaking of something that God does. God starts, God carries out, and God finishes. Eternal, never-ending, everlasting life is a work that only God can start and accomplish. Ephesians 2.8, you know it. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourself. It is a gift. What is a gift? Faith. Faith comes by what? Grace. I'm <laughs> sorry. You're right. Faith comes by hearing. But in this verse, <laughs> see, students, I even do it to the church people. All right. For by grace are you saved through faith. Salvation comes by faith. God gives us that faith. It is a gift of God. Obviously, grace is a gift of God. It's not of works. And so by God's grace, he gifts us with faith. God did that. God is doing that work. The Holy Spirit has convinced your mind that this is the truth, that you were a sinner, that you needed a Savior, and has convinced you to call out on Jesus Christ. God does that work. Remember, God doesn't change. Grace and faith are gifts, not of works, created in Christ Jesus. Verse 10 says, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. This all speaks of the fact that God started a work in salvation apart from anything that we have done or could do. And I love this. I did nothing to save myself. You know why that gives such great confidence? Because if I had done something to save myself, I would question myself for the rest of time if I had done enough. Or if I had done something to lose it. But because God is doing it, and He is unchanging, there's no question. There's great confidence in what we call, or what God calls, eternal life. That it is what? Eternal. Seniors, as you go out, be convinced or understand the gospel. And it starts with the fact that God saves a man, God saves a woman, and when God saves somebody, he never has half-finished business. Later on, some of the seniors will be coming over for lunch, and if you were to go into my bedroom, which I don't know that that's part of you coming over for lunch, but uh, anyway, if you go to my bedroom, there's a door, this giant door, and it's leaning against the side of the bedroom, and it looks awesome. It's just not hung yet. When we moved into this house, there's no door on the bathroom. Well, how else can I hide from my children if not in the bathroom? And so I built this door, and I like this door. It's nice. Super heavy. It's 10 feet tall and 43 and a half inches wide. It's got really nice black 
um, pieces, I don't know what you call them, handles, uh, that you use to move it, but it's unfinished, and it's sitting on the ground, and it doesn't cover the doorway. And that is actually a picture of Mark Rowland's construction abilities right there. They, they just fall short, right? Uh, God's not like that. And God is not like that when it comes to salvation. He never starts a project and then says, man, I just don't like how this looks. By the way, that's why it's sitting there. I like it. Somebody else in the house doesn't. <laughs> we won't speak of that person. All right. God never says, oh, man, that did not go the way I thought that was going to go. Oh, I wish that was different. Oh, I wish they were better. Oh, I wish they were smarter. Oh, I wish they, they didn't make that choice. I'm just going to set them here. God finishes every work, and, and Ephesians chapter 2 says that he saved us and that we are his workmanship. He is, he is finishing that work. John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them to me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. God continues that work of salvation that he started. He continues it in what we call sanctification. Galatians says this, that verse we said where there's only two Greek words in the Bible that this word is used. It's in Galatians chapter 3. It says this, Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? What's the answer? By faith. But then he says this, Are you so foolish then? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? He's saying this, listen, don't, don't be foolish. Your salvation began as a work of God. Do you think somehow you're going to come over here and be good enough to finish it? No way. That is a work of God's spirit. Oh, and by the way, God says, I am the Lord. I change not. God will do that work. Philippians 1.6 says that he began a good work. And because the unchanging, all-loving, total truthful God started it, he will perform it. The word perform, in some of your translations, it says complete or perfect or finish. These are all words that perform means it is a finished work. What God starts, he will finish. And let me just tell you this, seniors, as you go out, you're going to face a whole new set of trials and a whole new way of looking at yourself. Where you had adults to come along and say, hey, get out of bed. Hey, do right. Hey, don't speak that way. Hey, be kind to your sister. You won't have that. So you know what you're going to do? You're going to struggle. You're going to struggle with making poor choices. You're going to struggle with self-discipline. And it's easy to slip into discouragement about your Christian life. And then the world, on top of that, the world constantly barrages you with temptations. And, and very easily, the Christian life in these years ahead can, can become a list of do's and don'ts. Let, let me just read some of that to you from 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the Spirit. Despise not prophesying, prophesying or preaching. Prove all things, hold fast to that which is good, abstain from all appearances of evil. Can I, can I just point out something in that passage? Evermore, without ceasing, in everything, 
in all things. These are, these are difficult words. These are difficult words for you as you head off on your own. Man, it sure would be a lot more comforting if God's word said this. Rejoice at times. Pray when you're in trouble. Give thanks when you're grateful. Right? But there's this amazing verse that follows that list of, of superlatives or, or high calling. Listen to this verse. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. Not H-O-L-Y, W-H-O-L-L-Y, completely. The very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Who's going to do the rejoice evermore part? Who's going to do the pray without ceasing part in you? It's God. God does the work of sanctification. God does this work. No, you're not just a bystander who goes one way and God rips you out and makes you be happy. It's a cooperative effort here in, in, in sanctification, but God is working on your heart and spirit to make you desire these things. And God will bring it to pass. Sometimes God brings it to pass with some difficult life lessons, very difficult life lessons. Ask any adult in here, and they'll be able to tell you some things that will make you want to cry because you feel so sorry for them because these are difficult life situations. You're like, man, I thought I had it hard. No, life has very difficult times, but I tell you what, you've got a God who doesn't change. His love never wanes. His promises are true all the time. And he says, I'm going to take you through every one, and I'm going to finish the good work which I have started in you and I will make you blameless. You know, when I read through Scripture, there's a couple words that I have a really hard time tying to my name, and one of them is this word, blameless. How in the world can Mark Rowland ever stand before a holy God blameless? God does the work. God sanctifies, God saves, God gives me Christ's righteousness, and he changes me from the inside out to that point where one day I will stand before God and he'll look at me just like he looks at Jesus Christ. We call that justification, right? What an amazing work that God is doing. God is faithful to do the work of salvation in our life. Faithful is he that calleth you who will also do it. Let me just say this to you teachers who have struggled with these students for years. Why do you do what you do? It's hard, seniors. We feel like we are just getting to a place where you're starting to produce fruit, and we're starting to see the, like, yeah, it's, they're turning a corner. The light bulb is coming on. We can start trusting them. They're, they're, they're desiring to do right, and then you leave. Right, parents? You're just getting that place where seeds that were planted, teachers, seeds that have been planted over the past 12 years are finally bearing fruit. Ah, uh, but we have great confidence. Listen to these verses from Romans chapter 8. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, them he also did predestinate to be conformed into the image of his son 
You see, whom God called in salvation, he says, they will be pressed into a mold so that they'll look just like Jesus Christ. By the way, who's doing that work? And how does he do it? Well, we know that all things work together for this purpose, for this good. God will use your college days. God will use broken relationships. God will use failed papers. God will use everything to bring you into that mold of Christ-likeness. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Whom he called, them he also justified. Whom he justified, them he also glorified. The completed work. What shall we say to these things, seniors? If God before you, who can be against you? You see it? He begins the work. He causes the work to grow. He causes the work to be completed, and he ends the work by glorifying us, making us just like Christ in heaven with Jesus, standing before him as a beloved son or daughter. Do we worry about you when you leave CCS? Yes, we do. Why? We know the struggles that are in front of you. We know the difficult decisions that you will face. We know the heartache of sin. And the failing to believe God's word, we know that as parents and teachers because we have been there and done that. But we do not worry that God will let you go. We do not worry that you won't make it. We don't worry about seeing you again. And I'm not talking about back on campus You see, he says, being confident of this very thing, that he which begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. The day of Jesus Christ. What is that? This is not speaking of final judgment. It's not speaking about the day of the Lord when God will separate the the believers from the unbelievers. The day of the Lord here is speaking of that day when believers are glorified, their salvation complete, when we are presented blameless before the Father by his Son, Jesus Christ. Every fourth grader that made a profession of faith in Miss Lang's chapels, who truly called on the name of the Lord, who was truly saved, will stand before God and will stand with him. Every student at Calvary who truly trusts in Jesus Christ, God will never finish, or God will never, he will always finish, he will never quit, he will always finish. But I'll tell you, this promise of Philippians 1.6 is, is only for a group of people. It is only for those who have trusted in Jesus Christ alone as Savior. Seniors, we look to the future with great hope and confidence and joy. These next years of your life can be the best if you will know the unchanging person of God, if you will trust in his unchanging word, and if you will place your hope that an unchanging work of God is happening in you through Jesus Christ. This is living out the gospel every day. And so I want to leave you with the exhortation Paul gives to the Philippians in chapter 1. Go down in chapter 1 of Philippians to verse 27. In all these things, Paul Paul says, okay, I, I am so thankful to God that you are true believers of the gospel, that you've entered into the gospel with me. I'm so thankful that you know Christ as Savior. So then, seniors, everybody else, 
Only let your lifestyle, only let your conversation be as becometh the gospel. You could say it this way. Live a life that makes the gospel beautiful. Live a life that glorifies the work that God is doing in you. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. For whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. Seniors, your confident joy in the gospel will be a threat to non-believers. It may even be a threat to people in your own home. But listen, to you, this confident, joyful lifestyle of the gospel will be what he says is an evident token that God is doing the work, that God will finish the work. And whether we see you again, I mean, I'll see you tomorrow in Bible class, but whether we see you again after graduation or not, if you know Christ as Savior, I will stand by you and you will be like Christ. And there will be no handbook, because the handbook can't make you like Christ. There'll be Jesus Christ making us just like himself. And not one, listen, Calvary is in its 47th year. Not one student who truly placed their faith in Christ will be lost. Not one! Now, we've seen graduates go on and we go, oof. We're not convinced that they truly believe in Christ. You know what? I'm actually thankful that I don't have to make those choices and I leave them in God's hands. And if they are saved and have walked away from a lifestyle of pleasing God, God will bring them back. If they're a son or a daughter, he will bring them back. If they don't ever come back, it's evident token that they were not his. But every student who has trusted in Christ at Calvary, and by the way, this goes for any student, any, any person in the world who has put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he will finish the good work. Ha! That's why I'll come back and teach tomorrow. Because it's not about what I can accomplish. It's about what the unchanging God who gives us his unchanging word does through his unchanging work. Praise God. Let's pray.